What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. One of the coolest aspects of this podcast for me has been being able to meet some incredible people in the snowmobile world. Much like myself, we have a ton of listeners who grew up or raced in the late 90s and early 2000s, and therefore put guys from that era at the top of their list for favorite people to watch over the years. Beyond just being extremely talented on a sled, Aaron Shields' approach to snowmobiling and relationships during this time has led to him still being considered a fan favorite 20 years after hanging up the boots, especially if you're someone who bleeds green. We had an awesome discussion, so I hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast, presented by Woody's Traction. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Special guest in studio tonight, four-time champion in the MRP High Point Series. He was a regular podium guy in snowcross and cross-country for years. He's a fan favorite. He's the Iceman. He's Aaron Shield. <laughs> How are we doing, Aaron? Yeah, thanks, Spencer. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. Making the drive down, and I've actually got quite a few uh, requests for you, if you can oh, imagine funny. it, so uh, oh, pretty stoked awesome. to have you here. Well, thanks to those guys that were doing that. Hope <laughs> for, I don't disappoint. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So let's take it back to the early days, if you can remember. Where'd snowmobiling <laughs> start on, for I'm you? I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, actually, I am. I am that old. Um, yeah, no, so snowmobiling started for me back... Um, well, early 70s. Okay. Uh, my dad had a couple of old Arctic Cat uh, Pumas, mm-hmm. and uh, I had them in the yard, and yeah, I was just, love it. You know, it was just something to do and f- just so much fun. I had a bunch of uh, cousins that would come out, and we'd just spend the days snowmobiling. Oh, yeah. I'd beg mom to go out there and start it for us, and we'd ride until you couldn't feel your hand anymore, you know, or we got stuck up against a tree or a pole barn or something, couldn't steer away from it. But oh, yeah. We had acres of ground, and I know there wasn't a square inch that wasn't packed mm-hmm. with a piece of snowmobile track. So, yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. that was awesome. No, I had great times. So I'd imagine then getting your cousins together, you guys are probably racing at a pretty early age then. Yeah, you know, not so much. Really? really? Uh, yeah, no, um, I guess my first kind of inspiration to racing or first, uh, back in those 70s, there was races everywhere. Every mm-hmm. little town had some sort of a little winter fest and a snowmobile race of some sort. Mm-hmm. And my dad dabbled and had a trophy. I think it might have been a third place or something, but it was a trophy and a snowmobile mm-hmm. on the top, and I idolized that thing and thought oh, that yeah. thing was the coolest, right? But never really thought about racing um, heck till I was in my teens, probably. Okay. You know, we rode rode a fair amount, and when I started getting older, of course, they we wore the heck out of them, mm-hmm. and my dad wasn't much into fixing them, so I was trying to, you know, we spent more time. That was legit work on it for five hours to ride it for oh, two, yeah. you know, so back mm-hmm. then. Um, and wasn't very good at it at the point. And so spent a lot of time tinkering and fixing and per the hours of actual riding, right? So, <laughs> um, but it probably wasn't until high school that okay. I really kind of thought about racing and, and got a little bit more modern equipment, you know, I could start buying it my own and stuff like that. So, okay, okay. yeah. So and it wasn't until I was out of high school till I started, actually started racing, so. So did you like kind of go to some races as a kid? Did you have friends at race or just kind of always yeah, in the back of your head no, a little bit? Just kind of in the back of my head, yeah. No, really. Um, yeah, no, I really wasn't exposed to it through my uh, through my you know, high school ages and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember that first race at all? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, Quadna. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Quadna was my first event, yeah. So a friend of mine uh, from town, kid that I we rode a pile with was also mechanically inclined and uh, we were up standing on the hill watching the racing and uh, I'd signed up for 
uh, Sport 6, I believe. Okay. And um, we're standing there kind of absorbing it, taking it all in. And the announcer, yeah, so uh, up next will be our Sports 6 class. It's one of our biggest classes. And we both looked at each other and said, ooh, that's us. And to hustle back and get our stuff on and get down and get in line and get in staged and everything else. And yeah. I was out uh, first first round, first race, and I uh, was in like third place and thinking in my head, this is awesome. I'm going to get some cat cash. Back then, there was a little contingency yep. for mm-hmm. placing, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get cat cash. So yeah, I got hooked. I mean, I from that race, I don't think I missed. I didn't miss a race until I think that was uh, – Oh, my grandma had passed or something to where there was a conflict for a weekend. And that was years into the, to the, uh, into my career. So, gotcha. but I mean, it was like, yeah, I was hooked. Was it at this time, I don't want to say as we know today, but was it true snow cross or was it still kind of cross country? Yeah. No, of? it was, it was, it was, it was what you're saying. They, yeah. we, we didn't until the MRP national days, mm-hmm. even then, uh, it hasn't been very many years since we've been building tracks. Mm-hmm. It was a smooth track, maybe a chicane or something, uh, and it just got rough. Yep. You just ride on it until it got rough. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. No, so luckily, because <laughs> obviously the gear that we had back then, we would have never made it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would have just been, yeah, ourselves and the gear would have been folded up. Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Never made it. So what was kind of the amateur career like for those next couple of years then? Yeah, no. So I spent a year in, um, so, and back in those days with uh, MRP, we would spend the first couple of races on the ski hills. Okay. So Quadrant was always the opener. Um, and then um, they'd throw in another one or two until the ice got solid. The lakes would freeze solid enough. And then we'd move on to the ice. And uh, obviously that's kind of where I, I found a shine too and took uh, took a liking to the ice racing. Um, so I raced a, uh, two classes in sport and I think I won, won one of the sports championship points, one of the classes, sport seven open or something like that. I think I picked a class that there wasn't many guys in. I had a kind of a sleeper sled that I'd put together and it worked out good. Uh, and then the semi-pro the next year I won, um, six and seven, maybe it was, I had a yeah, 90 EXT special. Okay. Yep. Which, yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah. iconic <laughs> yep. sled which mm-hmm. i have one in uh in restoration oh, in nice. the process now but anyway that thing was amazing i think i replaced one bolt on it the whole season in one two classes um the uh at big lake was the world series of snowcross kind of the big dance um and bob Lawson, who was a rep for articat was okay. there and uh, came came along and asked hey have you you got any, you know, any aspirations to be sponsored or maybe I can help you out with them. And he did hook me up through a big lake dealership. And that was the next year, my first year pro and first year with some Arctic sponsorship help. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So you were only an amateur for a couple of years then, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, just two years. Yep. Okay. Well, okay. Moved, again, one year in sport, one year in semi-pro and then moved into pro. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. You'd mentioned earlier just kind of, you know, the, the family aspect of your riding mm-hmm. and how it was... Your family wasn't made of money. There wasn't a massive trailer no. and stuff like that. So I'd imagine through those amateur years, it was very much a family program, low budget, just showing up when you can. Yeah, my buddy uh, Lee and myself, um, uh, it was on the back of a uh, just a two-place trailer that he actually built. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so didn't, it wasn't even in the back of the truck. It was on a little two-place trailer. We showed up for the first uh, part of the year, year or so. Mm-hmm. And then I bought a um, delivery van uh, body 
and put axles under it and made my own trailer basically <laughs> with a winch on the back that could lift the sled up and bring it in and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, no, it was low budget. I remember my, my dad thought I was crazy. The first big, I bought a 44 foot, uh, fifth wheel gooseneck trailer for my, uh, for the racing. He thought that was nuts or something, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, um, obviously once he got accustomed to it and could have his crock pot and yep. ha- hot ham sandwiches in there, oh, it was yeah. all good. But yeah, uh, yeah, he thought I'd flip my wig here for a while. So <laughs> yeah, uh, no. So, I mean, you got that support from Cat. Did you have plans to go pro anyway before that, or was that kind of the stepping stone to kind of get you to that area? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't I – th- I think that was just a normal progression anyway mm-hmm. after okay. winning the classes in, in sport class, and that, that just pushed me over the edge, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I would say it was just kind of a normal progression for sure. For gotcha. sure. So, yeah, it was – Again, moving off those uh, that ninety EXT special into the EXT ninety one EXT special and Prowler special. So, okay, yeah, we went from that rock solid piece into that not so rock <laughs> solid piece. <laughs> uh, we definitely got to learn how to work on snowmobiles after that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but. it's it's. I don't want to say it's sad. It's interesting would be the word I'll say to watch that progression of oh, guys sure. going from the EXT to the Prowler, then to the ZR. Like there's wow. yep. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That so yeah. To the ZR was the uh, saving grace and, you know, the reason why I was had the success that I did for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't prompt you on this one, but do you remember like that first, maybe like the summer before that first year where you were getting support from Cat? Like, did mm-hmm. you, did they give you a sled? Did they give you a parts allowance? Like what was like the coolest thing of that first year? Yeah. So there was some, it was, you know, cheap pricing on the sleds. They went through the dealer, the still though. So it okay. still wasn't that I was... You know, as the years progressed, I'd just go right to the factory and pick them up. This, they mm-hmm. still went through a dealership uh, in Big Lake. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and it was all new, right? But, yeah, it was it was cool stuff, mm-hmm. you know, going up to the race shop and or up to the uh, race school back when they had the race school and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, really kind of set the hook for me with Articat um, – even before my racing started, I bought a 88 Wildcat, okay. uh, brand new, mm-hmm. and had a whole pile of trouble with it. And um, just had had it to a small dealer, and he could we couldn't keep it running. It was just one thing after another. I'd just had enough. I finally called Dartic and got a hold of Dean Lorenz up there. He was the uh, in charge of service. And I said, dude, I've got a Polaris uh, 650 Indy down in Storm Lake, Iowa with my name on it. I've had it with this thing, you know. You got to, I'm going to take it to the lemon law. What, you know, mm-hmm. he said, no, 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 just, just bring it up here. Let's, let's sort it out. We'll figure it out for you. you know? So sure enough, I put it in the back of pickup, headed up to the thief river. They put me up, up at the, um, best Western across the road, hauled it into the race shop. He tore it all down, found out the guy that at the dealer had pulled the in, impulse line off with the pliers and mm-hmm. cut the hose. So mm-hmm. it was going lean on that side mm-hmm. every time he just, he'd put it back together. Didn't realize he had done it. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's our problem. Yep, awesome. We're putting it back together. You know, this clutch looks a little worn out. We off back into the main plant or the box of comma clutches, and yeah. eyes are huge, right? Wow, this we'll put one of these on. Slips on a brand new clutch. Puts it all together. Go back and have dinner, and and the next morning get up early, go for a long nice test ride, shake it all out. I was sold. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that kind of customer service. I mean, I tell a story to whoever I can up there and people that need to know about customer service. But that was, you know, look what it did. Mm-hmm. Had, had they said, well, you know, go ahead, go buy your Polaris, you know, yep. 
there's a lot of history there that would have not happened had it not gone that way. And that's that's very reminiscent. That's that's old school Articat. Yeah. That is that yeah. is Articat at its mm-hmm. at its peak, at its right, truest. Right? You know, in a lot right? of ways. Yeah. No, for sure. Oh, that's super cool. That's yeah. super cool. Oh, good stuff. So that first pro race, I mean, I won't ask you to remember the specific race, but like just kind of that era, like who are some of the top guys that you were battling against when you first turned pro? Well, you know, that first year in pro class, some of the Daryl LaPlante's and some of those guys were still hanging around Mm -hmm. before they'd really kind of moved into uh, ovals full time. Okay. Um, But otherwise, Willie Jensen, iconic Willie Jensen. I don't know if, you know, you, Mm -mm. the name ring a bell? Ah, Mm -mm. man, that guy was a... That guy was awesome. Yeah, he'd be uh, puffing on a heater just before he pulled the helmet on, and out he'd go. He'd barrel roll that Polaris down and through the first turn, and never lift, never let off the handlebars. He'd hit the track and gone. You know, just crazy. Um, Dwayne Lossing was a guy that you know, and they were kind of maybe moved into the you know a couple of years into the program, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of there was always somebody there willing to push. Yeah, so yeah, it was always good. And I would imagine, too, this is kind of the era where it's not – these days everybody's so segmented yeah, in their disciplines. Exactly. There was a lot of blending back then. There was well, just snowmobile racers. The sleds. Mm-hmm. The sleds were consumer sleds yep. that we built to go racing. Now you have to buy a race sled. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so specific for what – and it has to be, right, for the tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's what we're kind of fighting with um, even now with some of the race sleds that are getting more like and have more consumer product on or uh, consumer – pieces on them mm-hmm. and they're just not built for that kind of stuff you know so it's just a challenge but and i get it that's the way it has to be but yeah no we'd be able to take the same sled and go cross-country racing you know change the suspension and the studs a little bit and go snow cross racing or mm-hmm. you know whatever so yeah no everybody was doing everything i know uh, mike and steve who would show up from time to time they actually um some of the very early on i grew up on a small lake Mm-hmm. just kind of a slew there was like one other house on it and uh i could build a track out there a test track so i'd carry my sled from the shop with the skid steer and a piece of plywood call it down there set it on ice and just burn laps you know mm-hmm. well steve and mike found out about it and for their ice testing for ice soccer for cross country would come up and test so i'd get to race against them a little bit there too so that was super fun <laughs> that's awesome yeah, that's yeah. awesome no for sure yeah, it's funny when I was going through to do a bunch of research on this. Like, you know, I'm a snowcross guy, so I recognize mm-hmm. the snowcross career. But there's so many guys like you in that time where it's like, well, what do you what do you call them? Because yeah, they right, were right. all over the place and they had success in all these different disciplines. And it, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's just because you guys are racers. You just wanted yeah, to race, right, right? No, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and had the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, and it worked out. When I, there was a couple of years there that I would uh, go up and live at Thief River, uh, live with lived with Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, and worked out of the race shop, and we had every weekend planned out, whether it was at a cross country or an oval or a ice Le Mans or a snow cross. That's just what we did, you know. If you're going to be a racer, you might as well race every day or every weekend, you know, somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere. So that yeah, was awesome. So one of the aspects that's become pretty substantial in your career is this this ice Le Mans stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm curious kind of how that started, how you fared at the beginning. Was it instant? What was it like? Yeah, no. So it, it, yeah, I guess it was kind of instant. I mean, it kind of was, um, and I don't know where it necessarily came from, short of the fact that I could spend so much time testing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, re- referencing back to that situation at the my at, at the house there, being able to haul the sled down there. A lot of the guys that I had to race against worked every day. Mm-hmm. I was a construction guy. So come freeze up, I would be done and was able to just spend, you know, hours and hours 
on the test track mm-hmm. practicing. So I had a bit of a leg up. But, I mean, that's kind of how it's the preparation, right? Mm-hmm. So I just knew what that sled was going to do and, know, you know, just had it had it dialed. So so that, that yeah, I guess it kind of came to me pretty pretty easy and uh, just had the perfect scenario for getting set up and gotcha. testing and okay. sorting it all out. Yeah. So and, and I'm tall and lanky, <laughs> which when it come to when it came to snowcross, well, not so handy. But uh, but yeah, I mean I could really get off the side of the sled. So there's a great video that I came across in doing this research mm. from from WSA, and it's all the guys oh, asking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, he's he's tall, tall I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, that, yeah. I guess there could have been worse things to be poked fun about, but yeah, oh, I know, I know. And then yeah, and then at that. At the end, you go right back and say, uh, Chris Vincent, I think he's he's pretty short, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, they did a great job back then, you know, um, getting everybody involved and, mm-hmm. and keeping it light. So For sure, for yeah. sure. No. So let's let's kind of stick to some of this ice stuff, because mm-hmm. obviously your nickname is the Iceman. So yeah. there has to be, you know, that's a huge part of your career mm-hmm. for, for championships in, in that era. And I'm just kind of curious, like, as you look back on that time period, Obviously, it's cool. Obviously, you're proud of it. But mm-hmm. you became a snowcross guy after that too. What's your overall outlook on the on the ice stuff? Oh, overall light outlook. Um, you know, I don't think people, unless people were ever to try it, I don't think they'd realize the challenge of it and the fun aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the tracks got rough. I mean, mm-hmm. you really didn't couldn't see it. But a lot of times we'd wear through the ice to the water, right? So mm. the you know normally had a foot or more ice, so you had ice grooves that were deep mm-hmm. and sharp and hard to hit. Obviously, with the sled sucked down to nothing, uh, you really had to navigate and you know try to avoid and whatever else the holes and and not uh, get disrupted so much. Um, so and it was so um, you just right on each other, right? So mm-hmm. it's just so side by side and so ski tip to snow flap and. It seemed a lot more controlled, obviously, because I was probably better at it than I was in snowcross, <laughs> right? Because I could set up and be planning and whatever else way more than I felt like I ever could in the snow, mm-hmm. just because the snow was just harder to, you know, pick your spot and and hit it and and make your hit your marks. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, and I, again, I guess uh, you know after winning uh, those four championships and being somewhat dominant and. Um, just felt like it was time to move on, try mm-hmm. something different. And, you know, the first year or two, we did a year of, uh, of uh, ISOC then, uh, cross country, mm-hmm. and that went pretty well. Uh, actually, it was doing really well until I got dinged up a little bit at the Ironman 250. It took me kind of out of the contention uh, for the year. But, um, yeah, things were going well with that. And then you could kind of see the writing on the wall that the the national WSA was kind of where it was going to be at for mm-hmm. the – interest from the factory and and all that sort of thing so that's kind of where where we ended up so i texted joey before this oh. i said you got any good any good aaron shield and he he said yeah he got hurt at the on the yeah, 250 like funny. i should have won it he got really hurt we sent him the rehab like in, in mm. california and all this stuff yeah. i'm curious if you could, if you could sure, share that yeah no yeah that was such a bummer man i mean so i was up there the week before and i tested with uh, brad paik mm-hmm. pre-rolled the track and stuff and we had a pretty good setup on our sled. Um, had a lot of fun riding the test track or test lap with Brad. I think the first day I went out, like second to last. I mean, it was like way in the back, so the track was gnarly rough. 
and it was um, really flat light. Um, so you'd just be hunkered down behind the, the windshield just waiting to get whacked because you, you couldn't see it coming. You know, mm-hmm. it was just pulled out and stuff. And when I was on the first day, it was soft for the most part because it was so chewed up, it wasn't quite so bad. But then they inverted the field for the next, next day. Mm-hmm. So I ended up out like second or third. So I got by the first couple of guys and was kind of on my own. And sure enough, I hit something and up in the air. And then as I came down, I missed the seat and caught the running board edge with my hip and just drilled it mm. off the sled and um, got back on whatever took off. And that night, it swelled so bad. I could hardly sit. I mean, it was horrible. And... uh Spent the week up at Thief River, so it was, and it was just a dream scenario. I mean, it's something you, as a kid, you just dream about. So I was up around the Iron 250. I was going to fly to Sioux, to the Sioux, and back up Brian Sturgeon. Oh, nice. Uh, at the Sioux. Uh, so that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then from there to the I-500, and then race that. And I, after the, um, after the Ironman, I was in the lead in points for ISOC after mm-hmm. that race, because I pretty good finish and I only missed the Ironman by a few seconds I think it was 40 seconds or not even I don't remember what it was but anyways it was pretty close I was in second um so yeah couldn't do any of that and then lost all those points every day at the 500 then was a day's worth of racing right Mm -hmm. so I yeah I got shuffled back pretty quick after that but yeah no thanks to Joey and those guys they um flew me out to Grants Pass Oregon to Mm. Jeff Spencer okay uh he was an Olympic athlete and then a um, chiropractor and sports doctor kind of guy and yeah he got me back in shape and I got back a week or two later and was able to race, you know get back to racing so it would have been months you know mm-hmm. the normal doctor said you're you know down for months because I thought it was going to be all right went and test rode the sled that week just before we were going to leave for the 500 and ended up in the hospital emergency room because it hurt so bad it felt like a knife in there just twisting you know so yeah couldn't race oh, brutal, brutal. yeah and that yeah short of the short of the injury that uh, kind of ended the deal i uh, that was really the only other time i've been not able to race because of being hurt gotcha okay so you've been pretty relatively injury free uh, for most yeah, of your career knock on wood yeah yeah. Been, uh, yeah i say that because there's nothing lingering my wife would have a different story but, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah no overall but pretty lucky so you mentioned that you kind of saw it on the horizon that wsa in snowcross at least was going to kind of be the the next thing of drawing everybody in when did you kind of have to make that full all-in commitment to to racing that yeah so i think it's like a 97 ish 96 97 somewhere right in that time frame mm-hmm. um i had committed to because i was gone from um ice Le Mans for a year to do ISOC cross country and i think we had decided and i committed and I actually kind of read i found a resume just the other night um digging through through some stuff that I'd committed to go back to racing MRP to okay. Isomans. And I told Joe, yeah, I'll commit to, you know, do everything we can to get all four championships again, you know, points mm-hmm. uh, classes again. Um, so he, yeah, we had to kind of all figured out what I needed and everything else. And, and I remember going to Duluth and had pretty good success at Duluth, um, the opening for the snow cross. And I said, ah, geez, this is going pretty well. I'm kind of having fun. I think let's, let's just do this instead, you know. And I had some, mod stuff ready to go for Islamans and I ended up trading that back and got more stalkers so that we could keep racing snowcross. I would imagine this time there was 
There's no money in, in snowmobile racing anyway, but there was more money in WSA than probably the Ice Lamonts. Yeah, was it? you know, and again, there wasn't enough to make, there wasn't enough, enough to where that was the deciding factor, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't, I don't think I ever really, it was never really a money thing. You know, it was enough to, it was enough to just keep, keep it rolling and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. I never really, because I worked all summer, mm-hmm. you know, I never really thought of racing as a, it was enough to make it, so it didn't cost me a pile, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is for a lot of guys. I think it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that don't realize that, that there's, there's a living to be made for like the top mm-hmm. two or three guys, maybe. Yeah. And then everybody else is either working all summer or working all year mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. getting contingency or exactly. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Enough to keep it, keep it rolling. Yeah. Yep. And we, you know, we got uh, a decent deal on sleds and, and the parts were covered and then, you know, Arctic obviously helped with the travel and the mechanics fees and stuff like that. Um, so in any end, you'd have your sleds to sell, you know, and that's kind of how you made it to the next year. And I wish, I wish it would have been different because there was lots of sleds that I had racing over the years. I wish I still did. But yeah, they had to go, you know. And <laughs> yep. at the time, they're, wow, what the heck? What do I, what do I want this thing for? It's mm-hmm. new one's coming. Oh, so, yeah. It's... But I wish I had a few of those back. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. I've seen some pictures in your shop of the hoods you have on yeah, your wall. Yeah. And you're like, ah, I bet I had a couple more of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, but no, it, it, it never, yeah, again, it really never was, it was never really a big money issue, you know, and mm-hmm. that's obviously probably why I stayed with Articat all those years too, not only for the relationships, but, you know, because uh, it wasn't like, you know, the other one was knocking on your door, hey, offering you money to switch and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And through those years, I mean, even moving past the first gen ZR into the early 2000s, second gen Articat's race sleds, you know, prior to Skidoo coming out with the Rev, mm-hmm. they were, they oh, yeah. were dominant. They, they were, were they were the yeah. equipment you wanted to be. No, yeah, for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, no, it wasn't like we were giving up, or sacrificing by being mm-hmm. that guy. You know, and again, it's 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 the nature of things, how they evolve and things change and stuff. But uh, I mean, it was just a perfect scenario having Kirk and Russ and those guys that lived and you know doing it every day, going back to the factory, building their stuff. I mean, how could it not be top notch? Mm-hmm. You know, and that just doesn't happen anymore. Absolutely. So, and it's, you know, and again, it's, it's nobody's fault necessarily. It's just how things evolve and how things change. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the difference, I think. So through these years, basically going all in on Snowcross, mm-hmm. you kind of established yourself as a, you know, regular podium, top five guy, mm-hmm. really consistent. There was never any like, blazing speed out there you know but mm-hmm. it was like he's he's always going to be there he's always going to be a threat right, you can right. never count him out you know yeah i appreciate that um yeah i had an awesome tuner hector uh still tuning to the day he's uh, working for for zach you know tuning okay. his stuff so yeah I had uh, awesome tuners with him and Corey and a lot of great guys over the years but uh they'd get me great starts so mm-hmm. i'd get out there and uh, get in the mix uh but you got to remember, I came up through the years with uh, a couple of guys you may remember, um, Morgan and uh, Hibbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there was some pretty good competition there. Than <laughs> us. Uh, and you know, and that's kind of as my career towards the end, r- the realization was that you know those guys were that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more across in the summer, still across in the winter, and I was still a working slob for the most part. Right, I had too many years in construction to 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 walk away from it. You know, just as I knew there'd be an end of the racing career at some point. Mm-hmm. And obviously it wasn't making bank at that point anyway, so it truly wasn't going to get any better. So I, yeah, it was, that's, that's kind of where it, uh, you know, the writing came on the wall and he, towards, towards those years that I just wasn't able to, to be that, be that, so. 
Well, it's interesting that you kind of have that perspective because I feel like in all forms of motorsports, there's a lot of guys that don't have that perspective mm. where they they were crazy fast on a regional level mm-hmm. and they just can't they can never see anything beyond or outside of it. And I, sure. you know, I I was never crazy fast racing either, but I was well aware there's a life after racing, right? You know, yeah, and yeah. there's a there's a level of risk you're willing to take for right not getting very much out of it yeah you know i know I mean? for sure for sure yeah i know yeah and uh yeah there's a, it, and it's when you when you start thinking about it uh that's when it's time to be you know to, you, we've got short memories luckily mm-hmm. racers oh yeah I, you know this it's it's the pains and the hurts and whatever else is and the discomforts they go away quick and you remember the other things and you don't think about that but uh yeah it's when the realization that it, that it was going to be an end to it eventually mm-hmm. so or some some uh, some major career highlights from your from your WSA snowcross days, if you can remember. Oh, uh, you know one of my one of my highlights uh, is um, we raced in uh, Brainerd, and it was a regional race. But back then, um, a lot of times everybody was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was more or less a national, but it was at a little track, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a regional race, and majority of everybody was there. Morgan was there, and and uh, it was a gross miserable little track dirty and icy and not much snow and tight and and uh it played into my hand perfectly because mm-hmm. <laughs> i got uh, whole shots in both the stock classes and won both of the finals and uh i'll never forget it because roger one of my roger sky my hero was there and uh, was the first guy standing next to me patting me on my back and cheering me on and everything else so i, I never forget forget those couple races with all the kind of the main big eighters were there mm-hmm. and i still yeah still won a couple races there it's kind of cool all the guys i talked to who were pro in that era it's always a day that they beat blair <laughs> or how they almost like beat him yeah, in a championship right, right. that's that's yeah. and it's it's really it's unfortunate in a lot of ways because i feel i feel this way about blair i feel this way about tucker and i feel this way about elias they're incredible talents, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, for sure. But there's so many guys that get lost in the weeds simply because they're not them. Right. No, you know, that's true. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. there's tons of guys like the the two through five, mm-hmm. crazy competitive, super talented guys. They're just not generational talents. Right, Therefore, right. they get lost. They, yep. They got chewed up by the buzzsaw that is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those guys. And I'll be honest, I so um, – Oh, it was one of the first, I think it was the first year Tucker race pro with Blair. It was up in Duluth. Mm-hmm. And back then we would race Saturday qualifiers and then Sunday was with the finals. Mm-hmm. And again, they didn't build tracks. They just had a track and we chewed it up. Mm-hmm. So early on in the day on Sunday, the track had a chance to freeze overnight. So it was a nice block. And as it would develop, you'd just get these gr- ugly ice holes, you know, mm-hmm. just sharp edges and they'd just come out of nowhere. So sure enough, in the uh, pro stock for uh, the 440 final, uh, had a pretty good start and was ripping around and out of nowhere that just got ejected, hit mm-hmm. one of those holes and I got ejected and screwed the sled up. So I sat in the middle and, with a broken sled and couldn't continue and watched Blair and Tucker battle from the inside and was just like, oh my goodness, this has just gone to a whole different level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of... I don't know if I'd say deflated, but it just kind of took the wind out of the sails thinking, holy cow, these guys are just taking it to another level. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that because it's, you know, the comparison people always draw is when Ricky Carmichael came into Moto. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a pre-Ricky era where right. it's, 
it's Emig and McGrath, and it's it's a good time sport. Yeah. And then Ricky comes in, and then it's a professional athlete sport. And I feel like that those couple years where Tucker and Blair were battling each mm-hmm. other, mm-hmm. that just kind of was like it's a pivotal point in the sport. There's before yep. that, and then there's after that, and they're two two completely different sports. Everybody has to stand up now. The yep. jumps are going to get bigger, and that's where we saw a lot of guys basically step away like that. I I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, right, right, right. It's a commitment, right? So and mm-hmm. it's very true. So and it and it and it wasn't that we weren't willing to work hard. Mm-hmm. Um we just were distracted and didn't realize that it was another level to be had, right? Mm-hmm. So he yeah, Blair came along, you know, uh, Canadian motocross champion. That's all he's done is raced. He's I mean and he's and again, no discredit to Blair whatsoever. He's a great guy, great you know, it was fun to race against. He's still to the day is a great kid, great guy to be around. Um, but he just came in at a whole different level yeah, mm-hmm. and caught us with, caught us with our pants down basically and, and just spanked <laughs> us. Right. So we just, yeah, we just had to step up and, and a lot did and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was your last year's O2 or was it O3? O2. O2. Yeah. Okay. First year of the new snow pro yep. chassis. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the year before that was kind of the. Well, serious, if you will, injury. It was uh, at the uh, one of the indoor races at the Metrodome, mm-hmm. and I had gotten into the handlebars and ruptured my spleen. Mm. So yeah, I had uh, emergency surgery, and then yeah, watching, getting rolled out to go for emergency surgery with my wife and a six six month old in her arms was kind of uh, maybe it's mm-hmm. a little more serious than you know you feel pretty invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of hit home at that point that I better start thinking about this. So then the next year, and I came back. Um, again, I was thinking about it, right? So you're on your line, on the line, and your things are in your head that shouldn't be in your head when you're going to go out and race. And so I knew it was time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, with all good intentions, started the season, you know, and we're competitive. Um, uh, but shortly on, I realized that this was going to be my farewell tour kind of thing. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like a, planned out like a year in advance it was just kind of like you come to the realization and right then and there you're like all right this is going to be it yep really was yeah it was pretty much kind of because uh yeah we'd gone and tested and did everything else and was ready to ready to roll them again we were fairly competitive given the outfit we had to ride on but uh Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was time when i was on the line in in open class and thinking you know this is what the heck am i doing out here these guys are you know (laughs) yeah good chance to get hurts attention snowmobile racers when it comes to dominating the track trust the experts at woody's traction and control their cutting edge products are engineered for peak performance providing unmatched grip and control in every turn don't let the competition catch up upgrade your sled with woody's traction and control products today visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference woody's traction and control where precision meets victory on the snow well, it was cool. I, you know, again, going back and for the research for this, and there's that video of you at Geneva. Like mm. they give you that after yeah. the LCQ, they give you that lap, and it like you don't you don't see that that much in snowcross anymore. Yeah. Like you know, Ross got to do it, but usually guys just kind of quietly disappear into the background. So it was really cool to see that even at that level, the sport was like, hey, this is this is a guy we're gonna miss. Yeah, I know? appreciate that. Yeah, no, and it um, it was a big family then, you know, mm-hmm. right? So you know, Greg Kramer. Um, Gosh, he was he was calling races since the time I started. I mean, we'd do interviews in room closets of the you know bars or whatever, or the awards banquets and stuff like that. And you know, he was just a great guy. All those guys were you know just the crew members. Everybody it was like a big family. Every mm-hmm. every weekend we'd show up and 
was to hang out and, and do a little snowboard racing on the side, kind of, you know. Um, and I, you know, I was pretty involved. So uh, a lot of times I'd be out grooming the track in between rounds. Mm. I remember in Canterbury, running the dozer, you know, fixing the track in between rounds. I'd have my pit coat on and most of my gear, short the helmet, <laughs> uh, but, but out building the track, you know. So we were pretty pretty tight. And, uh, you know, being involved with, uh, oh, calling races and just, you know. So, yeah, I guess, you know, in any end, you know, a lot of times I probably gave guys a little bit more space than they probably deserved on the track. But in the end, I always wanted to go out being the, a fair guy. And, mm-hmm. and I think it kind of worked. Well, it was it was evident even just in that short clip where it's everybody's everybody has nothing but good things to say. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. there, like there's there's not a guy on the line that's like, oh yeah, he took me out. I'm not a fan. Everybody's like, yeah, he's I loved racing him for years. Yeah. I'm, I'm bummed to see him go. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it was, again, it was a good great great group of guys. I remember the last autograph signing at uh, at Geneva. Uh, yeah, it was it was sad knowing that it wasn't going to be that you know be able to be a part of that group again. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you made the adult decision to step away because you got a family, yeah. but you can never truly take that out, that feeling out of a racer. You never really get rid of that mentality. So I'm curious, right. you know, you hang up the boots, mm-hmm. but what do you do over the next couple of years? And obviously until your kids start racing, but you know, what are you doing to kind of scratch that itch yeah, for, right. for a couple of years after that? So right after that, um, you know, the last year or two-ish uh, that I raced, I spent a lot of time with engineering. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of, you know, new product development development on the race sleds and shock changes and just worked with stuff, you know. So, mm-hmm. and to an, to an, a point, it may have helped some of my, hurt some of my results, you know. I had stuff on that was testing and breaking and, you know, mm-hmm. not keeping me out of there. But, um, but I really enjoyed that part of it. Mm-hmm. And right after racing for the, Next couple of years, I spent uh, doing a lot of um, contract work for the engineering side of it, for okay. a couple of one one race sled and a couple of consumer sleds that started out as some drawings and say, hey, you know, try this and that and the other thing, and was just not very long into it. A guy from Thief River showed up and stayed at the house, and we full on built a, you know, a, a, a prototype sled for consumer stuff. So. Um, so yeah, I spent a few years doing some contract engineering stuff with Arctic. Gotcha. That was super fun. I and got into uh, vintage, mm-hmm. the vintage bug bit. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's been a slippery slope um, <laughs> off of a cliff. I would probably say my wife would say. For oh sure. yeah, oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, there's probably some grease under my fingernails from this afternoon working on one. But anyway, yeah. So um, got into the vintage stuff. We did um, like I talked about that uh, ride with the champs. Uh, it's a um, vintage challenge. So it's 160 miles, like it is, from the Hall of Fame, St. Germain, up into Michigan uh, and back again. Okay. And uh, the first year I did it, it was kind of a ride to survive kind of thing. You know, oh, you, build yeah. and you build a sled, and it's, you know, every sound you hear, who is this going to put me on the side of the trail or not? And uh, up there and back and had a great time. Then the second year ended up there. And uh, got hooked up with John Carlson and uh, Avati and a bunch of the old I five hundred guys, and it turned into an all on snow or ice or uh, sorry, cross country race on the way back. <laughs> it was ridiculous, just full on, <laughs> and we had so much fun 
that that you know we kind of the next year then was the first year of the vintage class at the for the five hundred. Mm, so out okay. of out of um, uh, out of Thief River up there. So mm-hmm. yeah. And so I built a sled for that and went up and raced that five hundred. And that was probably one of the most fun races in my career, to be honest with you. I had Jim Dimmerman with me pit pitting for me and uh, Eric Bergstrom <laughs> and and uh colder than crazy out and uh, yeah so much fun <laughs> it's so much fun it's cool like you know i've mentioned it on this show a couple of times but and it's no knock against the other brands but there's such there's so much like a brotherhood in these cat guys mm, it's yeah. just that there's such a family dynamic with all the guys at least in like the heydays of, sure, of Arctic sure, cat you know sure. like all you guys are still friends mm-hmm. you all ride in the winter time or anytime you run into each other it's it's reminiscing on stories it's it's always really cool to see it is you know and i guess yeah um and it gets that's that's a family thing up there again right so it's mm-hmm. just such a family up there um yeah, no, for sure. No, it really is true. Brad, Brad Peak and Andy, you know, Anson and Andy battled against each other, so we get to see each other and race it out of the same trailer for a couple of years, you know. And um, yeah, lots of great names and and uh, experiences and fun. So I didn't prep you on this one, mm-hmm. but, but I'm curious because I've seen it from both sides. Guys who grew up racing moto or, or snow or whatever mm-hmm. that are like, I'm not going to introduce my kid to this <laughs> at all. I want them as far away from this. Right. And they always end up doing it anyway. It's sure, always how sure. it goes. But sure, sure. did you like, did you make a, a strategic decision to try and not get Anson on a sled right, or did right. that just happen on its own? Funny story. Um, you know, uh, Ian, my older one, um, we named him Ian Ryder, Shield. Yeah. Thinking, oh, this is going to be my guy, you know thankful and it just it it has no interest mm-hmm. and that's awesome he is an incredible being mm-hmm. uh, on his own and in his own interests and everything else and anson came along and um we had uh we had 120 and a kitty cat and that sort of thing and and it was super you know it's kind of their personalities but ian would he'd be riding around and um uh showing off a little or you know just looking at me look at me kind of thing and anson he'd He'd stop. Literally, if I pulled my camera out or pulled my phone out to take a video of him riding on this thing, he'd stop until I put it away. Then he'd take off again. If you'd see me head <laughs> out, he wouldn't. He would, and it, and he would be jump or just bombing around, just going like mad. Um, but he came back and wanted to play hockey. Hmm. About nine, ten ish. You know, Dad, I'd kind of like to play hockey. So, yeah. I don't know if we try snowmobiling. <laughs> I could help you with that at least. You know. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. I really had. Again, I was, if they had interest in something, I was going to be behind it, whatever it was that they wanted to do. So I'd imagine at least from, from your side, it's just been, you know, yes, as a dad, but also just a fan of racing. It's been probably pretty cool just to watch Anson's, yeah. Anson's career. I just, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It, um, you know, the first few races building, uh, riser blocks on the running board so that he could get yep. his butt off the seat, right? He's so small and that, uh, and thankfully we bypassed the whole 120 scene. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah. Totally missed the champs and all that yep. nightmare. <laughs> Went right to a Snow Pro 500. So mm-hmm. um, really fortunate with that. But yeah, to see him see him evolve and, and grow, and uh, it's been awesome. It really has. I, yeah, to see the hard work, you know, um, and it all pay off. It's been, it's been awesome. 
and I can tell just from talking to you, like it's it's still to this day very much a family atmosphere for you, whether it's you know the Christian family or mm-hmm. now now it's Steve Shearing. Like it's it's all these people that you meet and all these amazing people in the sport that kind of probably keep you coming back. It is really it is. It's it's such a family. You know, and you just go to the to the races. You know, even the other brands. You know, Juddy right next door. Even around Polaris and we're mm-hmm. battling or whatever. It's still, yeah, it's just a big family. Everybody's got something nice to say to. For the most part, everybody's got nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know it is, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it is awesome, and it's and it's again, it's the in the end, it's the experiences and the people and the places that, you know, the wins and the championships. Yeah, it was that happened, but the people and the really, you know, the friends and the stories that goes on forever. That's always that's the that's the best part. Oh yeah, that's that's still you know people ask me like if I ever want to get back on a sled, and like yeah. I'd, in theory, of course I do, but it's more you just you miss the camaraderie, mm-hmm. you miss the people. Like I, exactly. riding's fun. That's one thing. But yeah. that's when you when you get older and you have the perspective, it was mm-hmm. never really about that. No, <laughs> no, exactly, no, no, exactly. That's it. That's it. One hundred percent. So beyond, beyond like you know, financials and things like that, what would you say is the biggest difference between when you were pro in snowcross and Anson being pro light these days? Oh boy, you know, it, kind of that family atmosphere of the racers, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, uh, you know, it wasn't you know everybody would just in and out of everybody else's trailers, you know, mm-hmm. having a sandwich and and shooting the breeze and and uh, that sort of thing. Once the WS the national tour came along and the factories really kind of got in behind it, yeah, the doors started closing and and mm-hmm. you know now with the money being, it just it just changed, mm-hmm. you know it. It still happens, but nothing like it used to. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the biggest thing I think is the difference. The pressure. Yeah. You know, again, uh, really the only time I wasn't in charge of my own program was with Judnick for the year or two that I, towards the end. Okay. And it still was, he was helping out obviously with um, transportation was the main thing, you know, especially. And then having Hector and, and stuff live in, in Duluth and work out of his shop and stuff, which uh, was, was was intended to be a great thing. Um, it kind of disconnected me from the sled working on it, you know, mm. and I did all my own work or had a part of doing the work. You know, I didn't do all my own work. Obviously, I had a lot of great guys, but um, being hands-on, it changed things for me quite a bit that last season. But, um, but otherwise, I kind of had my own program, and, yeah, it just changed a lot with, mm-hmm. with that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So I want to transition into yep. the, the the Woody's Would You Rather segment. Oh boy! So I'm going to give you two things that frankly suck, and you got to pick which <laughs> one you'd rather do, and you got to justify it. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So would you rather do an ice race with snow cross suspension, or do a snow cross race with ice suspension? I would rather do. Uh, so you want cross country? So, Say that again, because I had one. <laughs> I had an answer, a question in my head, and it doesn't. It sounded different. Say it again, okay? So, again, would you rather do like an ice Le Mans? Yeah, with snow cross. with snow cross suspension on the sled. Yep. Or do snow cross with ice Le Mans suspension on the sled? Ooh, uh, definitely the other way around. So I'd, like to, I'd rather <laughs> run. Yeah. It could, again, we because so, we did that right. So mm-hmm. there was a couple of races that they'd throw in there with bumps. Yep. And we'd come with our suck down ice oval sleds and have to go bombing through these and they weren't nice powdery bumps Mm -hmm. they were frozen solid moguls (laughs) 
that was horrible. So to to sit up high on a sled and try to drift it around would be a lot easier and a lot mm-hmm. more fun than because I've done that. It's not much fun. Some of the cross country guys I've talked to, it's like even on a even on just like a lake race, they're mm-hmm. like after a couple laps and those you know those those braking bumps going to that mm-hmm. corner and then like a snow berm will build up. It's it's sketchy as all else. Yes, like. yes, it is. No, for sure, for <laughs> sure it is. Yeah, and that, and for those guys, they don't they didn't get plow, they don't get plow breaks. At least mm-hmm. with ice mons, they'd go out and clean off the clean them the best mm-hmm. they could. You know, they'd fill the holes in with the snow at least. But um, yeah. <laughs> No, definitely, definitely that. So next one, okay. you, ha- you have only a Swiss Army knife. That's okay. all you have. Would you rather rebuild a primary clutch or pull a skid from a sled? Oh, boy, yeah, you are right when I'd say both would be ugly. So I'd probably <laughs> want to pull the skid because there'd be two bolts that I have to try to get out to get the skid out, right? Fair, a fair. fair amount more stuff going on on the clutch <laughs> rebuild. <laughs> fair. I like where you're going, but yeah. And, and you know, Pat, on the back of many things that Kirk Hibbert has done over the years for sled development, but to have to only take out two bolts to take a skid frame out, mm-hmm. hallelujah. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the vintage stuff that I've got going on is a nightmare, how you end up without losing a finger getting those springs and things in there. Yeah. Oh, I know. I looked at uh, my my Scorpion in the garage, mm. still has still has all the bogey wheels. Oh, I, yeah, I, you yeah. know, I consider, like, should I take it out? I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, awesome. So next one, mm-hmm. uncrate a sled completely by hand, or this one needs some lead up. Mm-hmm. You have to rebuild the top end in your garage, mm-hmm. and you only you have tools, but you only have a flashlight. So the lights are off, and you only have a flashlight okay. to light your way around it. Uh, would the flashlight fit in my mouth? It does fit in your mouth. Okay. <laughs> uh that's a good one. So I'd probably want to do the, uh, probably want to do the uncrating. Yeah. It'd be a lot, a uh, lot shorter program, I think, than <laughs> I want to do the, the whole rebuild in the dark. No, uh, no, for sure. Uh, okay. Fair. <laughs> yeah. So modern snow cross track, 2023. Modern snow cross track on, I'd say a 90 ZR. So okay. like post, post, uh, like the second, the first gen ZR. Sure. So yep. it's still an amazing sled. Yeah. yeah but yeah. that, or a modern cross-country sl- uh, race on a leaf spring, which uh, you have done. I have done. So, so yeah, so, so and this is the, I'm sorry, this is the, yeah, this, um, yeah, this is a no-brainer. I'd rather run the modern cross-country race hmm. with a vintage sled. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, and I was amazed at, is that uh, when I did that a number of years ago, everybody bombs down the center with the modern sleds. Mm-hmm. And they leave these big gaps right out by the stakes. Well, these little skinny vintage sleds, there's plenty of room yeah. to just zip right along the edge, and it's <laughs> yeah. smooth as glass. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You that just was, gave away all your secrets. Well, I did. But <laughs> so be it. <laughs> uh, so last one. Okay. Would you rather lose a race to Anson or lose a race to Jim Dimmerman? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, prob- <laughs> probably to Anson. Yeah. I'd, 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 I'd rather not lose a race to Anson, yeah, because yeah, he's going to be there. Don't <laughs> about it. But you know what? It's it's funny. So I've always I knew it was coming, right? Mm-hmm. So there's many, you know, there's times where we'd go out and practice together, or I'd ride with him and try to push him and bang into him, you know, get him used to being. Yeah, and I knew there was a day coming that I was going to be over with, and I wasn't going to be able to push him around anymore. So that came and that day came and went 
quite a while ago, actually. Uh, and, you know, and a funny story also about the uh, old sled on the track. I always would give him a hard time about, well, you know, it's easy because you're cheating. You've got these modern crazy sleds that you can jump and everything else, you know. Well, I had built rebuilt a 94 440, and uh, it was when he was still racing with Christian Brothers, and it ended up infertile. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I got a video one night of him just skying this thing yep. over this huge double that they built up. Yeah, my poor little ZR. Oh, yeah. So then he could just say, "Oh, see, Dad, I can still do it with yours." I've I've seen that video before, and it's just it's it's cool because he like whips it. It yeah, lo- yeah. looks pretty sweet. But oh my god, like he's standing up like he's modern riding yeah, right, style, right? and he just looks. There's so much wrong with it. <laughs> well, that's the you know that's the the first race I watched Blair race mm-hmm. was out West Yellowstone. And uh, that got that was just a whooped out developing track, you know. Mm-hmm. It was kind of one of the, another one of those that started out smooth and just turned into. And I'm standing back there watching, and there's this damn green snowmobile that would just be down and then up in the air, and then down and then up in the air, and down and up in the air. I was like, what in good grief is happening out there? And then standing up the whole time, so it's like, wow. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't look right. No, it doesn't feel right either. Trust me. No, I. My first sled when I was a kid, I had a O2 MXZ380, mm-hmm. and I was like eight years old or something. And then I raced snowcross for a long time, so I was so used to standing up and mm-hmm. things like that. And then the first time I trail rode with a sled with trailing arms oh, okay. at like 22 years old, I hadn't ridden on a sled like that in like legit 10 years. Okay. So I sat on it like I would a race sled and how I remembered when I was sure, a kid. Sure. Ten minutes later, my knees are completely blown out. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Right, right. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, and it's the, the opposite. It's Kirk and I and some of those guys, that all we did was sat down. Mm-hmm. You know, it just uh, felt so awkward to stand on those things. And, mm-hmm. and then that's when my height really kind of got in the way, too, because they weren't made to stand on in the first place, much mm-hmm. less being as tall as I was. It was really kind of... Yeah, all arms and elbows and knees and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. So, a uh, couple more for you here. Yeah, yeah. So, coolest race sled you've ridden? Oh, boy. You know, I guess the coolest one I, that I've ridden and still own is probably that TS mod, TNS mod that I have. It's an old one, mm-hmm. uh, all hand built. We literally had to put 40 pounds of lead on it to mm. make weight. Oh, it's, really? It's that light. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, and how we ever rode it again, being kind of needed to kind of short and, uh, the short track, mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally on its back wheels all the time. Really? I mean, it's how you, you can't hardly be even on the gas and not have it want to come over backwards. <laughs> um, but that, that thing is, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. The ice Le Mans sleds again, those were, you know, this was all stuff kind of that I'd built, um. The feeling of being on a rail, you know, going mm-hmm. into the turn as hard as you could and just stuck tight, that was super fun too. So that's awesome. That's probably the two that, yeah. Hmm. Yep. Uh, since you're a cat guy, there's mm-hmm. a lot to choose from here, but favorite production sled of all time? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one there too. I think, I think the, you know, the, well, probably the, Z, the ZRs, you know, yeah. the, that early ZRs. I mean, we just thought we'd died and gone to heaven this first, that 93, 94, and they just kept clicking off, getting better, especially for the ice stuff. They were awesome. Um, you know, I was spoiled, too, because part of my gig towards the end there, um, well, actually, when, once I retired as well, uh, my wife worked for Periscope, 
mm-hmm. uh, the ad- advertising yep. agency. So mm-hmm. I actually would go and do the photo shoots for Altitogity, and I did that mm-hmm. for gosh, 10, 10 more, ten years or more. So I got to see the new stuff every year, you know, mm-hmm. before it came out. So yeah, to getting the steady taste of that and to see in the changes and all the cool stuff that was going on there, uh, that was super fun. Yep, some of the first, some of the first M's, the first M sled mm-hmm. um, when the, the M first came along. Uh, good story about that. It, it was a prototype piece. It didn't have a mount for the top of the steering post. Mm. You could literally take the post and make figure eights, you know, just loose like that in there. It was <laughs> yep. just ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty crazy. And jumping that and get some, got some pretty cool photos of that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I've heard some stories over the years of, because um, I used to work at CF Moto. Oh, fun. And, uh, Director of marketing at CF Moto these days is John Tranby. Oh yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. For so sure. I've heard some. I've always I used to always ask him for for cat stories and yeah, just some of the some of the gnarly photo shoots of some of the talent that was on those shoots. Right. Was yeah. Unreal. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I know <laughs> a couple of guys that are out there riding the mountain stuff were just insane and yeah, we had great times out there. Super fun. It was always a good break for um, lunch and it was a pretty much a cross country race to get back. Yep. I'd be under the skid frame cranking on springs and setting it up so that I'd get a little bit better cornering on the way back. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Fun stuff. So across all the disciplines that you raced, who mm-hmm. is your who is your toughest competitor? Oh boy. Across all of the disciplines, yeah. Probably um, you know, I spent more time on the track with Blair. Mm-hmm. Um obviously Tucker towards you know, there was just a year or two overlap with him. Um but I'd say, yeah, for the most part Blair was the he was always there, right? So yeah, yeah. No matter what, if you got a good start, you knew it was a matter of time before you're going to get somebody was coming around, knocking on your door. Was there a guy? Because like some guys in in their careers have this, where there's just one guy that's always there, mm-hmm. like always seems to find their way battle. Was was Blair that guy for you, or was there one of your other buddies well, that so was always around? You know, on Islamon stuff, there was other guys. There was um, uh, Dwayne Lossing. Mm-hmm. And and or Willie Jensen, a couple of those guys that were always, always there battling, um, and then you know as and again moving up through the snowcross. Early on, oh I don't know, you know the the, the factories had such big teams, you mm-hmm. know the players had a huge team, you know with Titus and Brown and or um, Titus and a bunch of those guys, you know mm-hmm. so they were always there. Vincent was there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't know. <laughs> well, it's it's just I, I only ask because yeah. yeah, like I said, there's there's some guys where like you ask uh, you ask Colby Crapo mm-hmm. and he'll say Derek Ellis was always oh, there, was gotcha. always there, right, whether right, one's right. in first or second or one's in ninth and tenth. It's yeah. always Derek Those Ellis. You know, so yeah, sure, there's sure. there's some guys that they're like, sure. God, he was a pain in my ass because <laughs> he was always there. You know, yeah, so. yeah. I guess in Islamans, I would say it would have been. Like Dwayne or or Willie or somebody like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in snowcross, it was kind of a. I guess it, had I been winning every time, and and it maybe would have been easier to find that single guy. But I was mm-hmm. kind of up and down through the through the line a little bit more, so got a chance to battle with everybody. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So you can take this any way you want, okay. whether it's a trophy mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. your reputation. What's your biggest accomplishment on a snowmobile? Do you think? Yeah, you know. That's a great question. And then, and again, uh, I really think it is, I think it is part, you know, maybe the reputation, but it's the friendships and mm-hmm. all the people that I've gotten to know and, 
still have as friends from the industry and that I've that I've met and spent time with and gone through crazy adventures with and and done cool stuff with and continue to so mm-hmm. yeah no I would say I'd say it's that I mean yeah there's a race or two that stick in my mind as a as a as a cool event and a cool you know great race kind mm-hmm. of thing great outcome but uh, yeah in the end it's the people and the, the friends and the experiences i would imagine when you first showed up to a national with anson when he was young and just the amount of like yeah, yeah. I, I bet it was i bet it was crazy oh for sure yeah no for sure yeah and, and it continues that's the thing right so it's uh obviously my career but now getting to watch and and see anson work through his his rise and, and uh, accomplishments and pitfalls and hardships and stuff like that. Yeah, it's been, it's it's awesome. Get to relive it again in a way without all the work and pain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I shouldn't yeah. say the work, but the, all, all the pain anyway. Yeah. Well, it's a little different now because he's on a factory program. It's, you know, it's probably slightly less work for you, but maybe yeah. more anxiety at times. More anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I probably uh, don't handle that well. I'm Luckily, I'm, I'm still able to be quite a bit involved. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, helping in the during the week if I can get up there and help a little bit, but uh, the weekends I'm, I'm able to to uh, work on a you know, trailer and get them to the line and and stage them and stuff like that. So that's awesome. Yeah, I know it's super fun. I don't know what I'd do with myself if I <laughs> couldn't do that, right? But yeah, awesome, been good. Well, on this note, last one. Okay, who's faster, peak Aaron Shiel or peak Anson Shiel? Who's Ooh, faster on what? Snow cross. So so yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's up for debate, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a challenging one. I would, you know, seeing seeing what Anson and just the guys in general with snowcross nowadays, mm-hmm. what they do, uh, you know, it's that typical until you could actually walk the track and actually see how deep the holes and how mm-hmm. sharp, and the, you just have no respect for what's going on, you know, from the TV side or even standing alongside the track, uh, and what they do to just go out and blitz that, the timing and the commitment and. It's pretty ridiculous. I think about, you know, we had some table time, some finish line jumps and some tabletops and stuff that we would try to jump, but yeah, nothing like that they're doing today. So yeah, Anson's probably got me covered. I mean, it, it is it is all relative because you know these days I think a lot of us, I I don't like the term extreme sports, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we all get numb to certain things. Like we sure, just, it's sure. not nearly as impressive. But, you know, a lot of guys in your era, that mm-hmm. jumping was still foreign. Like, yeah, it was right. still a big deal, you know? For so sure. It, For sure. It's, it's never a good bench racing question to compare eras. Right, Absolutely right, impossible, right, right. but there is, right. you can try, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, and, and again, I was fortunate uh, at my, where I came into the sport, I grew with the sport, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't come in with it full tilt. Mm-hmm. That would have really been a train wreck. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, as the jumps got bigger, I, you know, I was there along with the jumps as they got bigger and just got used to it. So it was, yeah, it was a good progression for sure. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. No, for sure. Well, we can wrap it up for you then, Aaron. Awesome. Again, I uh, really appreciate you coming down and sharing yeah. some stories with us. I think people are going to love it. So Awesome. Well, yeah. it was a pleasure. And again, you know, really hats off for you to doing this, Spencer. It's awesome. Give us a chance to relive some memories and maybe, uh, yeah, get some things down on uh, somewhere that we can archive it and have it, right? One quick, with that note, I uh, dug through some old videos, whether it was my wife holding the video camera or 
some old uh, cable network or cable shows mm-hmm. on videotapes. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been so long since I'd watched them that I would play them and didn't know how they ended. So it was like mm. I was watching them. Yeah. What would you call it? Even third person or something? Right. And I'd find myself so worked up, I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was like, <laughs> go, go, go. And I didn't know how it ended. And yeah, I got black flag once. I was going through the TV because they replayed it and I was... Mm-hmm. Totally not in the wrong. And actually, I did talk to Jerry about that. At a oh, really? Motocross. I said, hey, Jerry, I just got to bring something up. Um, but yeah, no, it was super fun. So yeah, so thanks for doing this. It really uh, is cool that you're doing this to get uh, get this stuff down on, on uh, some way we can look back at it. For sure. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah. Aaron Scheel, the Carbide Podcast. Such an awesome guy. I'd heard the stories, but I'd never met Aaron prior to this interview. But you'd never know that the way he carries a conversation. Big shout out to Aaron for the awesome discussion and for taking the time to drive down and be in studio. It means a lot. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying the content lately. We're in the thick of snowcross season right now, so there's a lot of race recap shows. But these interviews are still my bread and butter, so I promise they're still coming. Be sure to tell your friends. I obviously post a lot on socials, but there's a ton of people who would love these stories that may not be on, so be sure to let them know. Be sure to subscribe, think snow, and as always, take care.